John is part of the Kansas-Nebraska Convention of Southern Baptists, and he specializes in church health. And I called John and said, I have a really busy week, the week of VBS. Would you be willing to preach for me? And John said yes. So I want to pray as John comes up to preach. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to listen to your word and to hear from your word. And I pray that you would put your words in John's mouth, that he would speak your word, that our hearts would be open to your word, that we would be submissive to your word. I pray that we would walk away having encountered your word, not the same, but changed through the fact that we get to listen to the words that you have for us. Father, I personally thank you for the opportunity to sit with my wife and listen to a sermon. I pray that you would bless us as we dig into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. I'm getting a little older. I still go with the stand. I'll let you guys figure that out back there. (laughs) Perfect. Technology is not my strength. What a blessing to be with you guys. Um, I was blown away seeing the nook when I walked in. Um, I think the last time I was here, that was all taped off and plastic and everything, and it just looks fantastic. Um, So that's really good. The other thing I am going to do, I'm going to turn on my timer, because preachers like to go too long. So hopefully this is going to remind me not to do that with you. If you've got a Bible, you're going to find Psalm chapter 127. 27 is good too, but... 127 is what you're going to need this morning, so I'll give you a heads up to start looking for that. While you're looking, I want to say thank you um, for being a great partner with our Kansas-Nebraska Convention. Um, Because of what you get to do, we get to see God's kingdom move forward all across our two states. We support international missionaries around the world, as you know. And I believe the last I heard, our count was going to be up to 24 um, church plants they're anticipating this year getting off the ground in our two states, and you get to be part of that, so thank you. I also want to update you. Um, We still go by Kansas-Nebraska Convention of Southern Baptists, but um, under David Manor's leadership, we've got a simpler name to remember, and that name is just Church Forward. We wanted to capture a simple phrase that described what we really are about together, and together what we're about is helping Jesus Church move forward here locally, across our two states and around the world. So thank you for being part of that. Did you find Psalm 127? Did everybody get there? Okay, perfect. It's a short psalm. It's a powerful psalm. Um, Full confession, it's the, the first passage that I preached as a pastor of a church over 27 years ago. And it's a beautiful psalm. It's dear to my heart because of that. It's also important to me because I need it. It speaks to a chronic issue that I have in my own life. That's an issue of uh, being a workaholic, of overworking. People ask me, John, what's, what's your hobby? What do you like to do when you're not working? And uh, anymore, what I just say is, you know, work. <laughs> I think work is, is my hobby. Anyone else like that I hear? Hopefully not. But that some of us, we like our work. And when we don't have to work, um, we find ourselves working anyway. That's kind of what I, what I do. I want you to think about, though, 
that first time in your work, whether it was your first job or another job down the road, when you hit a real wall in your work. I don't mean a minor frustration. I don't mean an inconvenience that, you know, you wish you didn't have to deal with it, but you did, and you kind of pushed through quickly. But I mean a time that you hit a wall where working more wasn't going to solve it. I grew up in southwest Florida, but my parents were Midwesterners. So I was raised with this Midwestern work ethic. I was taught to believe, I remember hearing my mom say often, John, you can do anything you want. You put your mind to it and you do the work. So I learned early, work is the way to go. My dad would take me to work and I, I learned you leave a place cleaner than where you, how you found it. You outwork the other guys and you'll always be okay. So I, I gel with that. In fact, a football coach the end of the COVID season, I'll confess I'm a Florida State Seminole fan. I don't cheer against the Huskers, but I'm a Florida State Seminole fan. So their, their coach took over like two months before COVID hit. And I remember a quote from their strength coach for their guys, they said, listen, now's the time when some are gonna get ahead and some are gonna fall behind. And he said, when it comes time to play in the fall, you don't want it to be your excuse that you couldn't find a way to do the work today. I put that on my thing, you know, I, that was a quote I had on my day timer. I believe in work. But honestly, there's seasons where it isn't enough, right? As a pastor early, I learned this. I mean, I, I was so driven, I wanted to see our church grow and succeed and lost people baptized and save people to get out of the pew and in the game and serving and young people finding their calling to find Christ. And so you pray more and you strategize more and you visit more and you disciple more and you work more until you find yourself on the floor in a vertigo fit. You're not sure where it came from. And as your doctor starts chasing things, he, because he knows you, because he lives across the street from you, <laughs> says, you know, stress triggers this kind of stuff. When you overwork, it doesn't work. I didn't need Dr. Clock to tell me that if I'd been paying attention to Psalm 127. As we look at this passage together, if it's your problem or your temptation, this will connect with your soul. If it's not, it may help you help somebody else know where to look in God's Word. But the question to wrestle with is where do we turn and what do we do and what do we need to remember when we finally come to our senses and realize our work doesn't work? We need something different. So let me just read this, Psalm 127. It's short, it's quick, but it's powerful. Sorry about that. I'll pick that up later. Then we'll dig through some points in this passage. He says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. I want you to see how many times the word vain appears in this passage. It's worthless, it's empty, it's pointless. You're working harder and you think, I don't think I'm getting anywhere. Right now this feels pointless. Unless the Lord guards the city, 
the watchman stays awake in vain. It's vain for you to rise up early, to stay up late, to eat the bread of painful labors. And here's the gold, this next phrase. For he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. Some of you are scratching your head saying, my translation doesn't say that. You're right. Because this is one of those phrases in Hebrew that can be translated two different ways and they're coming at the same truth from two different directions. The other way this could be translated is for he gives sleep to those he loves. We'll just stop there for a second. I want you to let that sink in. To me, this is the Old Testament version of Jesus' cry in Matthew 11. Come to me when you're worn out. I'll give you rest. Notice, I want us to see what he's saying and what he's not saying. I'm going to go off the script just for a second if you're trying to keep up with the slides. He's not saying we shouldn't work. He's not saying work is bad. But what he is saying is if God isn't working, our work doesn't work. That's what he's saying. And if there's a bottom line to all of this, what I want us to see is we shouldn't wake up and engage anything on any day without total dependence on what God wants to do in us. So whenever we do that, we start moving into the zone where we're flirting with chasing things that aren't going to be effective or fulfilling or impactful. We start doing our work without the Lord. I really have two big points and some other things underneath it. The first big point is this. We need to depend on God's work. I'm dropping all kinds of stuff up here. Clumsy is my nature. Julie will bear witness to that. I tripped over something somewhere yesterday. Anyway, back on track. Depend on God's work for your work to work. That's the big point. Unless God builds the house... You can build all day long. It may not matter. The builder labors in vain. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. You can try and protect your retirement account, your property, your car, you know, whatever, all you want. You can't protect it from everything. Only God can. We must depend on his work for our work to work. Any baseball fans in the room? Like in the World Series games? Yeah, yeah. We had the blessing of getting to go to a game Monday. It was fantastic. It was a lot of fun. If you like good pitching, this is a great year to watch. The New York Yankees, when they were playing, Yogi Berra, he's a famous catcher for them. They were in the ninth inning, tie game, two outs. The batter comes up to the plate, crosses himself. Yogi Berra, who is also a Catholic, says, why don't we just let God watch this one? Why bring God into it? Now, that, that's great for baseball, unless you're a professional player. It's fun, but it's not good for real life, is it? And there are too many days that I was tempted, especially early gone, to just get up and go. Make the list, get to work, work harder, work longer, work more, 
and you got a better chance of winning. The psalm tells us that it's ignorant, and eventually you hit a wall. You come to your senses and realize it doesn't work. We must depend on God's work, or our work won't. Without God's work, our work is a waste. It's like building sandcastles. Um, it's like, uh, you know, restaurants that come and go. Anyone have trouble keeping track of restaurants that you used to go to and you drive by and, oh, when did they close? Businesses that come and go. Even in the scheme of eternity, the longest stretches of success that we see, it's all temporary unless God is in it and supporting it. Apparent success, in fact, it, it may not be, right? Sometimes we can feel like we're winning. And in the end, it's a loss. I kind of like movies, maybe more than I should. Anyone remember Perfect Storm? It's a movie based on a true story. That's one of those movies I, I love it and hate it at the same time because I kind of like happier endings. Yeah. <laughs> I'll confess that. When it's a bummer of an ending, I'm not always sure that I really liked it. But in that movie, if you watch it, you know, in a real story, they go out and they... They have their greatest cash that they've ever had. And then they die in a storm. <laughs> what good was that, right? I think their wives would have rather they had a terrible catch and got home than the greatest catch ever and don't make it back. When we overwork without pursuing God, we can find ourselves in that kind of position. Maybe not life-threatening, but soul-threatening where we end up killing what matters most. The flip side is this, though, that it's God that makes our work work. That should give us confidence. That should give us hope. As a pastor, I had to come to grips with Matthew 16, where it says, Jesus said, I will build my church. And what that had to mean to me is, John, why don't you take your day off? Why don't you go on vacation? Why don't you... You know, be content with working 55 hours a week instead of 70. Why don't you do that? Because Jesus is building his church. It didn't depend on me. How smart I was or how much I could learn or how much more I could get in before I quit for the day. What is that for you? To give you confidence you can rest and you can work and that God's going to make your work work. We, we really are, are like the little boy with the, the tiny lunch. We overestimate ourselves, and we underestimate what God wants to do with us. When we can learn to be content and dependent and just offer God the, the little lunch that we have and let Him multiply it, let Him do what He wants to do with it, let him bring the impact he wants to bring and the time that he wants to bring it. And then our, our life becomes more of a model of what following Jesus is supposed to look like. Where we don't claim Jesus, but leave him out of our work, but we actually depend on Jesus and rest in Jesus as we work. Not lazy, but anchored in faith. Unless the Lord builds... 
we labor in vain. We could flip that and say, but, but if God is building the house, the laborers are not laboring in vain, are they? We're getting to be part of it. I had four kids. They all loved the idea of mowing the lawn when they were too little to actually mow the lawn. <laughs> when they finally got big enough that they could mow the lawn, they weren't as excited about it. Isn't it weird how that works? But there, there was more than one day that I was out there mowing the lawn with you know, a, a five, six-year-old holding the low bar on the handles, and I'm having to walk three times as slow you know, so I don't knock them over mowing the lawn. And they would come in excited to tell their mommy they, they helped daddy mow the lawn today. Actually, I had to slow down for them, didn't I? They thought they were mowing the lawn. And there were times they thought they were moving the couch. They thought they were helping put the futon away and helping me do that. And, and you do that because you want your kids to be with you and you want them to learn to work. And there's joy in having them do that with you. But here's the honest thing. If we could see what was really happening, we'd realize God is doing stuff and he's letting us hold the handlebar and kind of walk along with him while he's doing it. That's how he works. That doesn't mean we shouldn't be there. That doesn't mean our hands shouldn't be on the bar. It doesn't mean we shouldn't show up with servant hearts saying, God, I'm here and I want to follow you. But we have to do it with the right perspective. We don't leave God out of it. In fact, it's just the opposite. After some of those early episodes, I got to where most Sunday mornings I'd wake up before I even climbed out of bed, I would lay there and pray. A lot of times that prayer would involve, Lord, if, if you don't go with me, I don't want to go today. Lord, will you let your voice be heard more than mine? Will you let your truth be clear and don't let me get in the way of it? God, if you don't work today, worship won't be worth attending. Much less organizing and leading and putting together. And that wasn't a depressed prayer of lament because I didn't want to be there. That was reminding myself, it's not me, it's him. What does that need to look like for you where you work? What does that need to look like for you when you wake up in the morning and get ready and gear up to take on whatever it is you've got to take on? To remind yourself of your need to depend on him. Here's the truth, God works beyond our work. Isn't that what's beautiful? We like to take credit for what God does. In fact, it, it's fun. Do you know that there's guys on championship teams, they win national championships, they get the ring. There's guys that do that that may not ever get on the field all season long. They're like number four on the death chart. But they practice, and they're ready, and they show up, and they suit up, and they get out there, and if everyone else gets hurt, they've got to be, be ready to go, and sometimes they do. God takes whatever readiness and work he calls us to, and he goes way beyond it. Think for a minute just through the biblical record. What happens with Moses throws down his stick and God didn't show up? 
All he did is throw down a stick, right? What happens if Elijah pours water on everything and raises his arms and calls for something to happen and God doesn't show up? He looks like an idiot, right? But let's acknowledge for a lot of us in our work, if God doesn't show up, we look like idiots. And maybe we don't. Maybe we just look like we're working, but if anyone looks close enough, they'd see, yeah, there's not really impact from this. There's not effect from this. There's nothing long-term from this. But the beauty is when we're doing what God calls us to do, where he calls us to do it, he makes it work and he brings fruit above and beyond what we ever could have done if it just depended on us. That's the good news in this. In fact, that's an image of our salvation, isn't it? We don't save ourselves either. Jesus saves us and he changes us. In fact, the guys that we've worked with, that I've worked with, that have gone through emotional healing, addiction healing, to a person would all say, if it wasn't for Jesus, none of the therapy really would have set me free. Before Jesus, I was just gritting my teeth and trying to be better. And it was so exhausting. But Jesus worked. And he changed it. So all this happens. We need to work with this attitude of dependence. The second big point is this. We need to let our hearts rest through trust in His work. It's really two sides of the same coin. We depend on God's work. For our work to work, we engage it. We engage it in dependence. But we also need to let ourselves rest. We don't always have to be on. We don't always have to be working. It's no accident that God set up creation the way he did. Six days to create, one day to rest. Then he codifies it in the Ten Commandments. The Fourth Commandment, he says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, and he attaches it to creation. Now with our God, we've got to believe he could have created the whole thing in one day a half a day, a half a minute. He could have done that, but he didn't. Why? Because he's teaching us something even in how he created it, all of it. God created these rhythms of daily rest, weekly rest, seasons of rest with the Old Testament feasts and festivals. God calls us to rest, and every time in his word he called his people to rest, it was all attached to a specific kind of rest. Remembering the Lord's salvation, remembering the Lord's deliverance, remembering the Lord's creation, remembering something about him. What he's calling us to is to rest in a way that refreshes our soul. We all know this. Winston Churchill wrote an essay, it's well worth reading, It's about painting and how he turned to painting to let his heart rest because he learned what a lot of us learn. Taking a nap isn't always rest, is it? Binge watching something on a network, that isn't always rest, is it? 
unless we can set aside our anxiety and replace worry for peace and let our minds trust in something that's actually true, it's not just a wishful thinking kind of hope, our heart doesn't rest. We stop, but we don't rest. There's a difference. When you stop without rest, in fact, it just makes the discontent of your soul louder. And it's more exhausting to your heart. What he's telling us here, unless God builds, unless God protects, our work doesn't do it. But he's calling us actually to trust that God is working, and God is building, and God is protecting. And when I'm intentionally trusting God's work and God's salvation, His sanctification, His future hope, when I'm trusting all of that, I can actually take a deep breath and I can stop without anxiety. I can stop without worry. The sermon will be enough. Your nine-hour workday will be enough. Your six-hour workday will be enough. Or the 12 hours you had to study for an exam, that will be enough. Whatever it was that God gave you, that you had, that you used, you can do that and you can stop and it will be enough. Here's the truth. God gives us real rest along with the work. God's not against work. But he's against work that leaves him out of it. He's against work that reflects a lack of trust for who he is. That's why he commanded rest in the Old Testament. And that's why Jesus invites us to rest in Matthew 11 when he says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Now think about it. A yoke is intended for work. Right? You don't yoke up and an ox and then put him in the stable and feed him. They yoke him up because it's time to go plow the field, do some work. But when we're yoked to Jesus, we're going at his pace and his direction. And we're learning. And he says, listen, when you're tied to me and you're going my pace at my direction, there is rest. He goes on in this, he says, you will find rest for your soul. It's deep rest. It's not just a physical nap. We can rest knowing that God provides without our effort. Almost every large airport now has these moving sidewalks, right? It's kind of like walking in the Spirit. You can walk or you can stand, but you're moving forward. You're trusting that this thing is taking you closer to where you want to be. Tony Evans uses that as an illustration of when we're resting in God, when we're trusting His Spirit, even when you're standing, you're moving the right way, and when you're walking, you're getting there faster than you realize because of what Jesus is doing. So we, we rest, though, as, a, as an act of faith and an expression of our need. When we rest, we're telling God we trust Him that the ability he's given us and the opportunity he's called us to 
with the time we have because we're limited in ways that God isn't. Can we admit that? We're limited. We trust it's enough. God, what you're calling me to is enough, and I trust that. Our youngest son um, was the best athlete in our family from a worldly point of view. Four-time state cross-country qualifier, three-time medalist, went and ran in college. The difference we saw when he went from high school to college was the college coaches valued rest in a way that the high school coaches didn't. By going to the state meet his last year, he was one of the fastest runners. He ran every meet he entered that year. Was favored to win a state. He and the coach got overexcited and they overworked the week between districts and state. And the guy that he'd beat at every other meet beat him in state. He had a slower time. When we got to college, they scheduled the meets out further, two weeks in between meets, not three or four days in between. And they would have intentional rest days to rest their legs. Some of you who are runners understand that. I'm not a runner. I confess that. I challenged one of my kids to a race and got totally humiliated in the neighborhood. All the neighborhood came, kids came out. They watched. It was wonderful for my son. It was not wonderful for me. <laughs> Anyway, it's a good story they still tell. Why do I, I say that? Rest is trust. So a week before a major piano competition I was in in high school, I was stressed out. My teacher knew I was stressed out. She was a godly lady. She said, John, here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to practice for two days. I want you to take your Bible. I want you to go to the beach. I want you to read through the book of Philippians like ten times in the next three days. I love Mrs. Lawler. I trusted Mrs. Lawler, so I did what she said. She knew I was as ready as I was going to be to compete, but the anxiety of my heart was out of control, and I needed to remember Jesus. What a blessing that was. To me, that's what this psalm is about. Remember the Lord. Remember Jesus. Do your work. Don't overwork depend on him as an act of faith because I trusted Mrs. Lawler I did what she said and it worked it was wonderful if we will trust Jesus and rest when he wants us to rest and trust his work we'll experience his work through us we need to trust his work enough to rest in him. I want to touch just on the last three, three verses. Some of you have noticed I've ignored them. I don't want to ignore them, but I want to show you how they fit. He says, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. There's more here than we have time for, but here's what I want you to see this morning. When we trust God's work in our work, 
We work when it's time to work. We rest when it's time to rest. And all of it, we trust Him. When we do that, we can celebrate the blessing of God's work in our lives. Children in this passage are an example of a work that God does, that God does, that goes beyond anything that we can do. We know in our age that's not something we can control, even when we think we can control it. We can't, and we don't. It's a miracle of the Lord that He does, and He doesn't do by His sovereign plan. There are some gifts like children that can only come from God. In fact, there's more of those kinds of gifts than we realize. We think we can control everything and have formulas and control outcomes. Over time, God helps us see, no, you can't. So when we see God work, part of it, we rest and we celebrate. We remember gratitude. God, thank you. Thank you for the gospel seed that was planted in Bible school this week. God, thank you for the responses that you let us see. Thank you for the responses that you didn't let us see. Thank you for the responses that are going to be 5, 10, 15 years down the road as a result of what happened. God, thank you for that. We just trust you for that. We're not going to overwork next year. We're going to work next year. Good gifts can bring security and peace and impact. In this passage, he talks about the impact of the children of your youth as they grow and the blessing they become. He's describing God's blessing actually deepen our security, extend our impact, like children can extend your legacy and your story. And you don't control that either. God does. So we trust. So what I want to do as we wrap this up, I want to ask you a question and just give you a moment to reflect for you because we all have different challenges. For some of you, you didn't need this this morning. It's fascinating, but you, you don't struggle with this. But a lot of us do. So for you, I, I want to remind you, when your heart is pulling you to work harder, remember to trust Jesus deeper first. Let him tell you whether you're supposed to actually work harder or not. Whether you just need to trust his work right now. Settle your heart to depend on his work. To let your heart rest in him. To celebrate the work that he does. There's a book called Imagining the Kingdom. The author is um, James K.A. Smith. He describes it this way. He says, you know, sleep is a gift that you receive. It's not something you can, you can choose. I want you to think about this. When, when you lay down to sleep, when I lay down to sleep, I, first I can choose to lay down. I can even choose to slow my breathing. I can choose to close my eyes. I can curl up. I can get comfortable. I put myself in a position to receive sleep. I don't just choose it in the next half second, I'm, I'm done. But by faith, I can put myself in position to receive that blessing. I think that's the, a picture of our dependence on 
on the Lord. When we worship, when we pray, when we look at God's word, when we choose God, I'm going to depend on you today. It's not like there's something that instantly occurs, but that's just putting ourselves in position to rest in him. And then he works how he chooses to work. We get to experience it and trust it. It's a miracle. So I want to give you a moment um, right now. I'm going to invite you to close your eyes and to do business with Jesus for just a moment. I want you to ask Jesus to show you if there's somewhere you're overworking right now. Maybe there isn't, but maybe there is. Ask him to show you. If there is, I invite you to just respond to that by expressing to him your desire to depend on him and trust him. to lay down your need to overwork. I invite you to choose right now to just rest in his love for you, in his purpose for you. Father, I thank you for the work that you call us to do. I thank you for your reminder that we also need rest. Lord, I pray for everyone here that you would remind us when we start pushing in our own strength and leaving you behind. Lord, remind us quickly of this passage and others like it. Lord, teach us to rest in you more often and more deeply as we keep following. In Jesus' name, amen.